actually are going to bounce around one more time in, um, in the Bible, look at a few different passages. Um, this is going to be a gap sermon um, to bridge the gap between um, the sermon series and sermon mini-series that we're leaving behind and um, jumping back into our sermon series on the Ten Commandments. So um, next Sunday we'll pick back up with, um, with the Third Commandment. Um, one of the things that um, I've been thinking about and toying around with is um, going through um, one or more sermons specifically um, on politics and so um, on government, all that kind of stuff. I still think that that is a, a, a very valuable topic for Christians um, to talk about and, um, and to think about, um, but I'm, I'm kind of I'm putting that on hold and um, for, for a few reasons. Um, you know, for, first of all, Jesus very specifically places our hope in the gospel and in the kingdom um, that he has established and not in the political realm. So even if we were to organize um, all of our principles um, by know, Christian ethics and all that we do, if we could bring those things to bear immediately in a genie, you have one wish, I pray the U.S. government would be as Christian as possible tomorrow, um, the Christian government, the American government um, would not be the vehicle um, for ultimate um, prosperity in the world, which only comes through Jesus' kingdom as the gospel sweeps, sweeps forth. And also, we could be very um, knowledgeable, or we could think we are, in the way that we share our opinions um, about politics and completely miss um, the gospel of the Christ. And so as Christians, we are called um, to preach the gospel. Um, the gospel very much does has a, have application um, to politics and to ethics. Um, there is real truth. There is real righteousness. There are things that God says um, about government. There is real evil and real wickedness in the world. Um, and our particular um, age, and, and I always wonder if this was the case, some of you who are older than I am can can say. It always feels like this is the age that things are just so crazy in the age that we live in. But feeling people have always thought that. Um, we always think that where we are. Uh, but our hope is in, is in the gospel um, and where we are. And if we're going to major in something, we're going to major in Christ and what he teaches us. And then we're going to take that out and the implications of the gospel is going to affect everything and how we vote and how we participate in um, the civic sphere. You know, for example, um, we pray a lot and even next week, you know, attending the pregnancy banquet, I think everyone should use um, their political vote to do as much as they can um, to end um, abortion being legalized in America. Um, and this is very, very, very clear. Um, and then there's also a lot of latitude on minor political things, on what you can believe and think and those things. And you know, I think a, a lot of those things and have views and talks about politics, um, but one of the things that we've set ourselves on as a church is that we are about Jesus. We're about his gospel. We're about preaching Christ, worshiping him, living in community, and going out into the world and, um, and, and living on mission. And that is not in any way an ostrich head in the sand kind of thing. It's actually the opposite. It's majoring on the gospel and going in. So maybe I can write some blog posts or other stuff or do seminars on thoughts about politics and all those kinds of things. Um, but this morning, you're going to see a part of that as we look at the law of God. Um, so in Think about what's righteous, what is the right response, what's truth, what should righteousness look like in the world. Well, God has designed the world to be organized by his law, and this Bible talks um, a lot about his law. And so this morning, we're just going to take a look at um, God's law, um, both at how he has made the world to function, and what we are seeking to see brought about in every area of our life. We want to see God's law accomplished in our personal life, in our families, in our communities, in our country, in our state. We're also going to use it as a jump back into a consideration of 
um, the Ten Commandments and jumping back into um, the Third Commandment. If you're new to this topic of God's law and how the scriptures use God's law, um, there are a ton of laws um, in the Bible. And um, at one point, the Pharisees asked Jesus to pick, pick the one that was most important. Um, and out of the hundreds were there, they thought they could catch him. And they'd be like, aha, there's another one that is more important than that one. You chose number 345, but I'm going to make a good argument for 122. Um, and Jesus knew that, and Jesus summarized and said the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And in doing that, he summarized the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments are about loving God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And the last six are about loving your neighbor um, as yourself. And so all the laws in the Bible find connection to one of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments find their summary in a love to God and a love for others. And so when it talks about law and love and these things, that's the, the grid behind it. And so um, this morning I read to us um, four verses. Um, what I hope to just convince you of and show you how we can accomplish is how can we love um, God's law? And um, what I want to show you in these verses um, is that a love for God's law is in the Old Testament. Um, it's in the New Testament before the resurrection of Jesus. It's the New Testament after the resurrection of Jesus. It's in the New Testament after the ascension of Jesus. And so we're going to look at those four verses real quick and then, um, and then jump in. So Psalm 119. Verse 97 says this, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And actually this morning did a search on Psalm 119, and oh, how I love your law actually happens like five or six times. So I just picked one of them um, in Psalm 119. So Old Testament. New Testament, um, before the resurrection of Jesus, here is Jesus saying, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. All right. We're now looking to Luke 24. After the resurrection of Jesus, Easter morning, um, Jesus is about to do a Bible study on the road to Emmaus with some of his disciples. And this is what he said. He said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And so not only did Jesus say, all of the Bible is about me, um, but he was the one who gave his disciples the ability to understand that truth. And so for someone to say, all of the Bible is about Jesus, for someone to see God's law, and in God's law, see it point to Christ, that is a spiritual gift from God. That is not an IQ test, that is not a theology test, um, that is a gift from Jesus to look in the scriptures and see um, him. Uh, if we go to Romans um, 7, um, verse 12, um, the apostle Paul, a very accomplished and well-studied Jew before um, he was converted to Christianity um, late in his life, says this, So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So, um, this is um, the word of our God, about the word of our God, from different sections of the word of our God. And so why don't we pray um, for a minute before we consider. Father, um, thank you for your word. Um, this is our hope. Um, everything um, that we know about you definitively is revealed in this book and in this book only. It is true. It does not fail. It is sufficient. 
and it is our lifelong study. So thank you for the Bible, your written word, which is all about your incarnate word, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. All right, so we dive into these, these passages, and if we connect them together, you obviously see that in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, pre-resurrection, New Testament, post-resurrection, New Testament, after Jesus returned to his Father bodily, in all ages and stages of the church, God's people loved God's law. Now, I wonder if we could judge the little emotion meter, maybe even when you heard the title of my sermon to begin with, and I said that I wanted to convince you to love the law of God, I wonder how many of you thought that's going to be a hard sell. I wonder how many of you thought just for a second, hmm, when I hear the law of God, I don't exactly do backflips. In fact, I heard what you said in Psalm 119, and I'm, I'm wondering what was going on in David's life that he could say, oh, how I love your law. And that tension, and if, if you have that, um, that, that's natural, that's normal to some degree. You're going to experience some of that. Um, it's normal in our common sinful response to God's law, not normal in God's intention for us. As you see, his intention is for us to love his law and to love um, the Bible. And so we have that gap, that kind of little emotional cringe when you hear your pastor say, I want you to love the law of God. How can we arrive to a deeper love for God's law. And that's what we're after. And so we have to realize is that little emotional response of eh, a little cringe is reflect, reflected broadly in the church and especially in culture where today people like to undermine and pit God's law against different things. And so sometimes people want to pit God's law against God's love. So we might hear people say things like, I know that's what the Bible says in that passage, but I can't conceive of a loving God doing that. What's the reasoning behind that? I know that's what the law says, but that does not jive with what I think the character of a loving God would do. And so whenever you hear somebody do that, especially someone who claims to be a Bible teacher, immediate red flags should go off if people start to compare God's law with God's love. Some people try to abandon the Old Testament um, altogether and say, we don't need that anymore. And so, you know, uh, Andy Stanley, who definitely is a, a well-known pastor, um, gifted communicator, has recently over the past month said, not only do we not need the Old Testament, um, but it said that the Christians are no longer bound by the, by the Ten Commandments. Now, those are just straight-up heresy when it comes to what the Bible Testament teaches and is pastorally negligent. And the same thing that a doctor might be negligent and lead to harm to his patients. So when a pastor says things like we need to jettison the law of God, we don't need the Old Testament, which was one of the, actually the first heresies in the New Testament church that's really old school um, to attempt to say something that wrong. When someone does that, it creates pastoral negligence in their congregation and people can be spiritually harmed in the same way that a do doctor could harm someone through um, negligence in his profession. Third thing sometimes people say is that Jesus did not believe that strongly in God's law or holding to God's law. And so they say Jesus grace Old Testament law. Or sometimes people will wrongly say 
Jesus, nice New Testament God, Yahweh, angry Old Testament God. And first of all, anybody who says that just has not read um, the Bible at all. Um, God is very, very specific about sin and its horrors in the Old Testament and New Testament. And God has never been more specific about sin than in the, the death of Jesus at the cross and what it took to pay for sin. And even Jesus' own teaching about hell and a very real hell that people will go to who do not believe um, in God. So New Testament and Old Testament both teach the law of God and the grace of God. Jesus came into the world within a Judaic context. He was a Jew, and he performed the law for us and for our salvation perfectly. And we forget that a lot of times. People look and say, well, Jesus didn't speak to this social issue. Well, he was a turn of the first millennium Jew. He didn't have to. That was just a default. Like that Jesus believed this about sexuality, it wasn't even a question. He was a first millennium Jew. Judaism was very specific as it flowed from the Old Testament law. And so Jesus loved the law of God. Even you see here in Matthew 5, when people kind of pushed him about that, because he thought that people might, by him preaching the grace that had been forgotten, think that in preaching grace, he was undermining the law. He said, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not here to abolish the law at all. I'm a pro-law guy. I'm here to fulfill the law. I'm here to perform the law in every point so that I can give to my people a perfect record of righteousness, a perfect resume of law keeping. And so what we have to make sure first as we look at this problem within our own heart reflected in um, our community is that there's this natural desire to want to pit God's love, God's law, Jesus, New Testament against God's law. And often when people advocate for God's law, talk about God's law, they're called judgmental, harsh, heavy-handed, condemning, legalistic, you know, whatever words that we want to add to that. And so we, we realize that, that we need a calibration. We need a reset. And as we're moving through this, we start off first and foremost simply by saying, the law of God is perfect and holy. It shows us our need before God. We cannot be saved by doing the law, and we were never intended to be saved by doing the law. God did not give the law to us to do that. And so, you know, if, if you were to go across town to the Culpeper Hospital um, and something were wrong with you, and you were to get an x-ray, an x-ray might reveal that something is very, very wrong with you and that you need medical attention. But the x-ray is not going to fix you at all. That's how the law functions in the life of anyone, much less the Christian. The law reveals that there is a problem and pushes you to God to cry out to him for grace that he gives freely for redemption and salvation and new birth, as we read about earlier in John 3. And so that's where they're headed. That's where we're headed this morning. Um, my hope to you um, is to show you six things that God says about his law um, that would recalibrate your love for God's law um, and prepare us again to jump into um, next week back into the Ten Commandments um, with um, with the Third Commandment. And so um, the first thing and the most important thing is that in the law, God reveals himself, especially in the person of Jesus Christ. 
The law, first and foremost, reveals who our God is. Imagine for a moment standing on the shore of the Red Sea. You've just been redeemed from Israel. You were a slave in Israel, and your history in Israel, and thank you, <laughs> in Egypt, um, your history in Egypt as an Israelite um, was one of slavery to the Egyptians. And even when Moses came in, you're just a regular Israelite, Moses came in, you weren't like, I knew it all along. I knew that this God would come through for me. We are 100% for this God. No, all along, you bucked and rebelled against Moses. You thought he was wrong. You told him to leave Pharaoh alone. At times you said you wanted to stay in Egypt in slavery rather than to be led out. Um, God, by his mercy and grace, led you out through the Red Sea. Egypt followed you um, with the armies of Pharaoh. God took the army of Pharaoh, the, the greatest military might in the world, and put them on the bottom of the ocean. Like, imagine what would happen if a, if a natural catastrophe wept at, um, swept away the U.S. military in full. I mean, would that get your attention? Maybe. You know, if, if U.S. military went from whatever it is now to zip, zero, by a natural disaster. That might get your attention. So you're standing there on the Red Sea, and there are chariots floating, helmets washing up on the shore. Your first wonder would be, who is this God? What, uh, how are we going to avoid ending up underneath the waters of the, how in the world are we gonna live with this God? And so for God to reveal his law, to say, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. And they, they weren't a, it wasn't a fickle law. At each point, is it exactly what we want our God to be? And so when our God says, worship me, and worship me alone, he's saying, I am self-sufficient to provide for you everything you could ever hope for. You don't have to go to the mall and shop in the Yahweh shop and shop in the Muslim shop and shop in the Buddhist shop and kind of cobble together enough to fulfill you as a person or to meet your spiritual needs. For God to say, worship me and worship me alone, he's saying, I am the self-sufficient God who is beyond your wildest imagination. And I have entered into a relationship of mercy and grace with you. For him to say is, well, look at his feet. Don't take my name in vain. It means you can trust what I say about myself. I'm not going to say one thing and then change a few weeks later. Who I say I am is 100% dependable by you. You never have to worry about my truthfulness. If he says, do not murder, I care about life. I care about life wherever life is. I made life. And I am the source of life, creational life and new redemption life. In fact, I'm going to send my son and the way he's going to talk about a new relationship with me is through new birth. So that some Pharisee is going to say, what do you mean? I can't, I can't get into my mother's womb again. How am I going to be born again? And in saying that, my Messiah and son is going to reiterate, I am all about life. Do not covet. I'm the God who will provide for your every need. You will never have to look at what someone else has and wonder if I have provided for you or will provide for you. So as you go to God's law, the first thing we see 
is we see God's character, who he is, and in his love. And all of his laws speak his wonder and his mercy. If we stopped, and this is inconceivable because how laws are, but if we stopped with the law simply as a meditation on the beauty and wonder and character of God, how much is there? If you never even got to, how should the law affect my life? Which it should, and you should get there. But if you stop simply at, what does the law of God say about law, about God? Is there not just a wealth, much less that all of the law was fulfilled and pictured in Jesus the Christ who came with the fullness of God? So all the laws, not just God in general, but in the person of Christ and what he did and how he died, in his works and in his resurrection, it shows Jesus. There is no clearer picture of Christ than the Bible. And the Ten Commandments are the blueprint for the gospel narratives. The blueprint that, that, that talks about the structure, the bones underneath them. And so when God says, this is my character and what I'm about in the Ten Commandments, you read what Jesus accomplished and did, and you see it enfleshed in a very real way. And so the Ten Commandments also show us Jesus and all of his beauty. And so first and foremost in the law, God says, this is who I am. Love me. Worship me. Second thing it says is it defines the love of God. Again, one of the things we've heard is that people like to say, I cannot picture a God of love saying this about human sexuality or gender or government or sin or money or health. My understanding of love does not connect with what God says in his word. And so what people think is, my standard of love is judging this God. This is what I think love is. And for God to be true, he has to match my standard of love. And the thought is that all of us come ingrained with an idea of what love should be. The scripture is completely the other way around. It says, do you know what love is? It is who God is. You bring your definition of love to this God, and you see it in what Jesus said about it. What, people say, hey, what's the law? Summarize the law. Jesus says, all right, well, there's ten things you got to do. Here are the first four things you got to do, and here are the last four things, the last six things you've got to do. These are definitely things that you need to do and check off your list at the end of the day. It doesn't say that. Summary of law. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, if there was a person who could perfectly obey the law of God, they would also be the most loving person who has ever walked the planet. That person has a name in the name of Jesus Christ. So again, in our day, we're talking about what's truth, what's love, how do we understand these things? We go back to God's word. God's already told us what love looks like. Love isn't just this feeling of what you think is PC. Love isn't just this nice, warm thought. Love is defined and clear starts with our God's covenant commitment to us, and this is love, not that we first loved God, but that he loved us, and then we love in response as a part of obedient covenant with our God and those that we're in relationship with. So the law also defines what love is. Third, in the law, God defines sin and provides the remedy 
through repentance. Again, to go back to the x-ray analogy, you know, imagine, you know, back in the day where somebody would come, on, come in with a cough and people wouldn't know what's going on. Might even, you know, well, I think for your cough, what we need to do is use leeches. We put leeches all over your body. And it's like, wow, that's dumb. Like, why would, why would people ever use leeches as, you know, to, to cure whatever illness that's going on? Well, it, it was the best that they knew based on their medical knowledge. But the same thing is spiritually. I mean, people know that they're not spiritually good. I mean, talk to anyone, Christian or non-Christian, and ask them, have you ever, or are you currently going through a time where you would define your current spiritual experience as dark or difficult? I mean, so many people. Yep, been there, am there, may soon be there by the end of the afternoon. So the question is, is there a spiritual x-ray? Has God given a diagnostic on what is wrong with us and what we are to do? And the answer is absolutely he has in his law because he loves us. You know, if you went to somebody who was uh, visited one of your friends who's sick at home and they just said, you know, I decided to go get leeches. You would be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, we're a little beyond that, like a few hundred years beyond using leeches for medical treatment. In the same way for someone to say, I know that I'm spiritual sick, spiritually sick, and I've decided to try harder, and I've decided to join a nonprofit, and I've decided to try and be really good. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're like hundreds of years past trying that kind of garbage. That's like witchcraft voodoo kind of stuff. You can't do that. Do you not see God's law? God's law in full describes the life of perfect righteousness and says that we haven't reached it and that our source of spiritual darkness and that feeling of spiritual death is because we have not reached God's standard of perfect righteousness, but that there is a remedy not in the performance of the law, but in the one to whom the law points, Jesus, who gives salvation freely to all those who call out to him and to his mercy. And so it, it, it's incredibly precise. It's the best instrument you can have. It is the CAT scan, the, the chemo, the whatever it is for everything that ails us spiritually. And we've had it for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And people still use spiritual leeches. And it's the beauty of, I mean, God isn't hiding from us the knowledge of what's going on with us spiritually. He's not saying, I don't want you to understand what sin is. And this stuff will kill you. Every single one of your sins is trying to kill you. All of them. They want your end. They want you far away from God. They want you depressed. They want you dead. And God has said, I've revealed in my word what that is. And also that by crying out to me, you can experience new life and victory and release from sin through repentance. It's beautiful what our God has done. The fourth thing that he said is that in the law... He provides the possibility of assurance of salvation. Assurance of salvation is something you can have or not have. And so, for example, you know, a certain number of you this morning are Christians. A certain likely smaller number of you that are Christians this morning are sure that you are Christians based on what the, God, the Word of God says that you can be sure. You don't have to be sure that you are a Christian in order to be a Christian. Our assurance is not the thing by which we are saved. To cry out to God and ask for his mercy, to say, God, I believe, help my unbelief. God, I believe that I'm saved based on what you've done for me, 
is the basis of the Christian testimony and true conversion. Assurance comes when you can look at your life and look at, and you should look at your life and test yourself and say, do I see the fruit of a life that's been changed? And to have other people with, with you're in a relationship with look at your life and say, do I see the fruit of a changed life? And as other people look in on your life, and as you look at your life, you see yourself continue to repent of sin, to hate sin, to love Jesus, to try and serve other people, to obey the law as best as you can in thankful response to what God has done. As you consider the beauty of who Jesus is, as he's described by the blueprint of the law, and want to be more like him, as those things occur, you can see those as the result of a changed life, and you can have assurance of salvation and that's one of the benefits that the law gives to us if you're currently walking in unrepentant sin if God's law says this is your this is sin and you're saying I'm doing that and practicing that and I'm not repenting of that or fighting against that you cannot have assurance of salvation you cannot be assured of your salvation because God loves you he's not going to let you continue in sin and also think I'm doing great if somebody's a heroin addict, the people who love them say, stop. That does not end up in a good place. You, you cannot continue to do this and have the people that love you say that you are good. You are not good. You're not going to end up in a good place that way. So for the Lord God to say, these are the patterns of sin, and as you see yourself repenting and fighting against sin, and yes, sinning for the rest of your life, but hating sin, fighting against sin, pursuing the law, you can have assurance of salvation. It's a beautiful, every, every Christian should strive for that. Every Christian should, should strive to say, I am sure that I am saved. And you can't get there without the law of God. So it's God's gift to you, and we're using all the, the physical things, it's God's gift to you of what it looks like to be physically healthy. It's a spiritual BMI. It's a spiritual physical. This is, this is what health looks like. Repenting, growing in faith, hating sin. So that's the, um, the, the fourth thing. The fifth thing is that the law of God sets the standard for our community. Um, this is where we start to dabble a little bit in politics. When we look at America, America and Iraq and Germany and Australia, none of those civil governments are going to be able to perfectly reflect the law of God through the Holy Spirit. See, what's going on right now in our, our little local church and the church broad is that God's Holy Spirit is working in a body of Christians and he's making us to be more like Jesus. And he's doing that by make, in making us more like Christ and bringing God's law to bear in our lives so that we want to do it because we love it. And our church community is becoming a place where we express biblical righteousness and biblical love in a way that is not expressed anywhere else in the world. So will we see righteousness in our government? I hope so, we should fight for it, absolutely. We want the US to be a, a righteous, just nation that thrives and does its best to accommodate itself to the Ten Commandments? Absolutely, all of them. The United States should try and do all Ten Commandments, not just the last six, first four as well. And do I think it would go well for the U.S. better than what it is doing now? Absolutely. But God has not entrusted and promised his Holy Spirit to the United States as a civic group or any other group. 
God's entrusted Holy Spirit to the church. So do we expect here in our local church for there to be righteousness? Yes. Do we deal with each other differently than the world deals with one another? Yes. Do we expect each other to walk in righteousness and holiness and to repent of sin? Absolutely. Is there a place for us to rebuke and admonish one another? Absolutely. That should be a part of what we do as a local community because God has given us our community standards. It's, it's, it's hilarious to see people like huge, huge organizations like Facebook develop community standards. You know, I have, we've gotten together five million sinners and this hasn't gone well, really? We've asked millions and millions of people to express their opinions online and to tell each other whatever they want behind the safety of their own, com their own computer and we're seeing really nasty stuff happen. Really? We develop community standards. Huh. Good luck with that. We have this thing called a local church where 60 people come together in a room once a week and then scatter to live their lives together. And under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we love each other and we hold each other accountable and we call each other to repentance. And we're not developing our own community standards. God has given them to us. So this thing called the church is this amazing community that our world is aching for is trying to create online and wherever they go and whatever civic group. And God's already given it to us. And the structure of what makes our local church beautiful, it's a place that's governed by God's law, points us to repentance, warns us against sin, governs the way we relate to one another, and actually gives us a community under the power of the Holy Spirit where everything we could long for is coming true and will be true on that day. Our church isn't perfect if you're visiting with us. You know, come to members class next week. I can tell you all the mistakes we've made um, and we will continue to make until the day that Jesus comes back and our church finally will be perfect after that. The church will be perfect one day, but not until that day. But there is no organization. There is no group. There is no place on the planet like a local church governed by the word of God, given the Holy Spirit, living their whole life unto the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Church is amazing. Six, in the law, God trains missionaries to carry the gospel to the far reaches of the world. In the law, God trains missionaries. Not just in the gospel, of course, but as the law tells us this is sin, and here's the remedy in Christ. Do you know anybody who might be interested in that message? People in the world who, hey, are you looking for a solution to the brokenness of life? Hey, do you see patterns, I'll use worldly language, would you see unhealthy patterns in your life that you wish were different? Do you see addictions and tendencies that you're worried may wreak havoc in your life and in your family? Do you want to know that there's a remedy for that? Do you want to know God said what the problem is and what the solution is? Is that not an attractive message? That's what we have. Much less in our day, so we, we not only have a community, but we can tell you what real righteousness and truth is. We can tell you definitively the way that the creator of the universe talks about gender and created gender. We, we have the answer already. We've had the answer for thousands of years. We can tell you what it looks like to order your family in a way that is best for children and husband and wife and honors God, where it's not just up to you to figure it out and look at demogra demographic studies of what's ever going on in Sweden. Like, we actually have the answer in the word of, is that not attractive? from a missionary stand of view, point of view. Like, we have the answers 
to the questions the world is asking in God's word. And it's been there the whole time. And we have that in God's law. So what does it look like for us to obey? Looks for us to first seek and savor Jesus in the law. As the law points us to Christ and shows us Christ is a chance for us to love Jesus more. Here's a, here's a little lesson um, for you, and you can do this when you, when you go home. Um, if you look in Psalm 119, really any, of, any of, the, um, of the Old Testament, but Psalm 119 is great. If you're unfamiliar with Psalm 119, it is a Hebrew acrostic. Um, and so each set of stanzas um, starts with a Hebrew letter in alphabetical order. And so imagine that I wrote a poem about the Bible. Um, it had 26 stanzas. First stanza, every sentence starts with A. Second stanza, every sentence starts with B. Third stanza, every sentence starts with C. And so what I've done is I've said the Bible is literally the A through Z of what you need to know in the way I've organized the poem. And so that's Psalm 119. And all the way through, it says, oh, how I love the law. Read through Psalm 119, or part of it, I know it's long. Some of you are growing and reading longer portions of the Bible. Sometimes read all of it. And everywhere that it says law, insert Jesus' name. And, and, and see how that opens up Psalm 119. If Jesus says, all of the law is about me, 100%, it, it all points to me, then, then do a little switcheroo, a little, a little synonym thesaurus work in your Psalm 119. Oh, how I love Jesus. He is my meditation all the day. Oh, how I love Jesus. I like to think on him in the watches of the night. Oh, how I love Jesus. He is sweeter to me than honey. Read through and see that and, and compare and say, Can't, do I believe that about the law of God? And in the law of God, we have ability to worship Jesus. Second, because the law describes God and defines our sin, it is our engine for worship. One of the things Martin Luther would say is if you're feeling cold in your faith, go to the law. That isn't a legalism as somehow like, you know, try and do the law or make you feel better. It says, go to the law. It's going to show you your need and also your remedy in Jesus. Um, one of the things you could do on Sunday morning, literally, is to reflect on, on the Ten Commandments. It's one of the reasons that during my prayer of confession and the beginning of worship, I often will use um, one of the Ten Commandments to frame that confession. And so we'll go to that commandment, not, I'm pretty sure I'm good on that one, I've got 80%, but no, this, this shows me my need. This shows me God's character. This shows me what Jesus has done for me and is doing and dying. This shows me the pattern that God is creating me into. And so the law is an engine for our worship and our growth um, as Christians. Third, Expect, expect your Christian relationships to be regulated by the law of God. I wonder how many of you are like, when I said, we should admonish and rebuke one another. You know, one, one of the problems with the New Testament is that we, to admonish and rebuke somebody, we, we put that in the level of like, you know, DEFCON 35. There might be one time in my life where I'm in this strange situation that I can't run away from or write a big text about where I might have to tell someone maybe possibly I'm worried that they're not maybe possibly walking according to God's word. Where that isn't at all what the New Testament says. The New Testament says, hey, we're going to be with one another 
and we're going to see problems in each other's life, and because we love each other, we're going to bring that up. And that we want to surround ourselves by people that are looking in on us and saying, hey, I'm not sure if you noticed this, but this is a place that I think you're missing the gospel. This is a place that I think that you're blinded by sin, and I want you to know that God's love is for you. Now, the best way to start for that is not to, is not to be the one like going and searching. What if you gave some people some inroads into your life? What if you cho chose somebody you know, this afternoon or this week and said, hey, that thing that Joe said that we should do as Christians, if you saw in my life one thing you were concerned at that could really end up one day being a really big problem in my life, um, a sin pattern that you see, what would it be? And then give that person free reign to speak in your life and say, I think it might be this. And then ask some follow-up questions, not to be the defensive, well, how dare you? Well, I'm going to tell you yours. No, just like be able to hear like, oh, you know what? I, I want to think about that because I, I believe that I need other Christians in my life who will see me and speak truth into my life. And I believe in the beauty of the local church is governed by the law of God. And I want it to be. I want our families and our church to be governed that way. And lastly, don't be afraid to speak about the law of God to our non-Christian friends and neighbors. If you know, in this day and age, it's not hard. Hey, wait, I, I, I saw you posting about justice and what is right and what is wrong and what is true. Hey, what, what's your grid for that? How do you come up with what is true and what's right or wrong? It'd be a great conversation um, with one of your friends that, that doesn't know Christ. Just go and say hi. You know, one of the things I believe is that God has revealed what is right and wrong um, in his word and that it, it doesn't increase pride in me, it actually increases humility because it, it calls me out and calls me to repentance. And I mean, if somebody's not interested in that, like they're not hearing you right. And so it, it is beautiful for us to go out in the world with these things. Um, so the, the law of God is beautiful. Um, I wonder now, it, it, may, it may not be 100%, but I say, hey, it, it, we as a congregation, could, could we agree with David? Oh, how we love the law of God. Could, could, do we have a little bit more opportunity now to say, I wasn't quite thinking about that right, and the law, which I thought I needed to avoid, I, I think it's something that's beautiful. I'd like to reflect on the law of God um, some more. Um, if that's where you are, um, good news. Next week we're jumping back into the third commandment of, um, of the Ten Commandments to take a look at the beauty and the wonder of Jesus Christ and the Ten Commandments. Let me pray. Um, Father, thank you for your word and for your gospel, that we are forgiven by grace alone, through Christ alone, According to faith alone, as it's written in the Bible alone, for your glory alone. Thank you for your word, which is true in every part. We as a congregation, as individuals, want to love your word, your law, more than we do today. We know, Lord, that you don't give us a spiritual meter to that, but if somehow we could test ourselves today and test ourselves on the day of our death, if we could test ourselves this Sunday as a comparison to next Sunday, we would want our love for the word meter to go up. And so, Father, help us to that end. Help us to see Christ. And we pray and ask all these things in his name. Amen.